Section 7 of A Dialogue Concerning Oratory, or The Causes of Corrupt Eloquence, by Publius Cornelius Tacitus, translated by Arthur Murphy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The true spirit of genuine eloquence, like an intense fire, is kept alive by fresh materials. Every new commotion gives it vigor, and in proportion as it burns, it expands and brightens to a purer flame. The same causes at Rome produced the same effect. Tempestuous times called forth the genius of our ancestors. The moderns, it is true, have taken fire and rose above themselves as often as a quiet, settled, and uniform government gave a fair opportunity. But eloquence, it is certain, flourishes most under a bold and turbulent democracy, where the ambitious citizen, who best can mould to his purposes a fierce and contentious multitude, is sure to be the idol of the people. In the conflict of parties that kept our ancestors in agitation, laws were multiplied, the leading chiefs were the favorite demagogues, the magistrates were often engaged in midnight debate. Eminent citizens were brought to a public trial. Families were set at variance. The nobles were split into factions, and the senate waged incessant war against the people. Hence that flame of eloquence which blazed out under the republican government, and hence that constant fuel that kept the flame alive. The state, it is true, was often thrown into convulsions, but talents were exercised, and genius opened the way to public honors. He who possessed the powers of persuasion rose to eminence, and by the arts which gave him popularity, he was sure to eclipse his colleagues. He strengthened his interest with the leading men, and gained weight and influence, not only in the Senate, but in all assemblies of the people. Foreign nations courted his friendship. The magistrates, setting out for their provinces, made it their business to ingratiate themselves with the popular speaker, and at their return took care to renew their homage. The powerful orator had no occasion to solicit for preferment. The offices of praetor and consul stood open to receive him. He was invited to those exalted stations. Even in the rank of a private citizen, he had a considerable share of power, since his authority swayed at once the senate and the people. It was in those days a settled maxim that no man could either rise to dignities or support himself in office without possessing, in an eminent degree, a power of words and dignity of language. Nor can this be a matter of wonder when we recollect that persons of distinguished genius were, on various occasions, called forth by the voice of the people, and in their presence obliged to act an important part. Eloquence was the ruling passion of all. The reason is, it was not then sufficient merely to vote in the Senate, 
it was necessary to support that vote with strength of reasoning and the flow of language. Moreover, in all prosecutions, the party accused was expected to make his defense in person and to examine the witnesses, who at that time were not allowed to speak in written depositions, but were obliged to give their testimony in open court. In this manner, necessity, no less than the temptation of bright rewards, conspired to make men cultivate the arts of oratory. He who was known to possess the powers of speech was held in the highest veneration. The mute and silent character fell into contempt. The dread of shame was a motive not less powerful than the ambition that aimed at honors. To sink into the humiliating rank of a client, instead of maintaining the dignity of a patron, was a degrading thought. Men were unwilling to see the followers of their ancestors transferred to other families for protection. Above all, they dreaded the disgrace of being thought unworthy of civil honors, and, if by intrigue they attained their wishes, the fear of being despised for incapacity was a spur to quicken their ardor in the pursuit of literary fame and commending eloquence. I do not know whether you have, as yet, seen the historical memoirs which Musianus has collected and lately published, containing, in eleven volumes, the transactions of the times, and, in three more, the letters of eminent men who figured on the stage of public business. This portion of history is well authenticated by the original papers still extant in the libraries of the curious. From this valuable collection, it appears that Pompey and Crassus owe their elevation as much to their talents as to their fame and arms, and that Lentulus, Metellus, Lucullus, Curio, and others of that class took care to enlarge their minds and distinguish themselves by their powers of speech. To say all in one word, no man in those times rose to eminence in the state who had not given proof of his genius in the forum and the tribunals of justice. To this it may be added that the importance, the splendor and magnitude of the questions discussed in that period served to animate the public orator. The subject, beyond all doubt, lifts the mind above itself. It gives vigor to sentiment and energy to expression. Let the topic be a paltry theft, a dry form of pleading, or a petty misdemeanor. Will not the orator feel himself cramped and chilled by the meanness of the question? Give him a cause of magnitude, such as bribing the election of magistrates, a charge for plundering the allies of Rome, or the murder of Roman citizens, how different then his emotions! How sublime each sentiment! What dignity of language! The effect, it must be admitted, springs from the disasters of society. It is true, 
that form of government in which no such evils occur must beyond all question be allowed to be the best but since in the course of human affairs sudden convulsions must happen my position is that they produced at rome that flame of eloquence which at this hour is so much admired the mind of the orator grows and expands with his subject without ample materials no splendid oration was ever yet produced the mosthenes i believe did not owe his vast reputation to the speeches which he made against his guardians nor was it either the oration in defence of quinctius or that for archias the poet that established the character of cicero it was catiline it was verres it was milo and mark anthony that spread so much glory round him let me not be misunderstood i do not say that for the sake of hearing a bright display of eloquence it is fit that the public peace should be disturbed by the machinations of turbulent and lawless men but not to lose sight of the question before us let it be remembered that we are inquiring about an art which thrives and flourishes most in tempestuous times it were no doubt better that the public should enjoy the sweets of peace then be harassed by the calamities of war but still it is war that produces the soldier and great commander it is the same with eloquence the oftener she is obliged if i may so express it to take the field the more frequent the engagement in which she gives and receives alternate wounds and the more formidable her adversary the more she rises in pomp and grandeur and returns from the warfare of the forum crowned with unfading laurels he who encounters danger is ever sure to win the suffrages of mankind for such is the nature of the human mind that in general we choose a state of security for ourselves but never fail to gaze with admiration on the men whom we see in the conflict of parties facing his adversaries and surmounting difficulties i proceed to another advantage of the ancient forum i mean the form of proceeding and the rules of practice observed in those days our modern custom is i grant more conducive to truth and justice but that of former times gave to eloquence a free career and by consequence greater weight and splendor the advocate was not as now confined to a few hours he might adjourn as often as it suited his convenience he might expatiate as his genius prompted him and the number of days like that of the several patrons was unlimited pompey was the first who circumscribed the genius of men within narrower limits in his third consulship he gave a check to eloquence as it were bridled its spirit but still left all causes to be tried according to law in the forum and before the praetors the importance of the business which was decided in that court of justice will be evident 
if we compare it with the transactions before the centumvirs, who at present have cognizance of all matters whatever. We have not so much as one oration of Cicero or Caesar, of Brutus, Celius or Calvus, or any other person famous for his eloquence, which was delivered before the last-mentioned jurisdiction, excepting only the speeches of Asinius Polio for the heirs of Urbinia. Those speeches were delivered about the middle of the reign of Augustus, when, after a long peace with foreign nations and a profound tranquillity at home, that wise and politic prince had conquered all opposition, and not only triumphed over party and faction, but subdued eloquence itself. What I am going to say will appear, perhaps, too minute. It may border on the ridiculous and excite your mirth. With all my heart, I will hazard it for that very reason. The dress now in use at the bar has an air of meanness. The speaker is confined in a close robe and loses all the grace of action. The very courts of judicature are another objection. All causes are heard, at present, in little narrow rooms, where spirit and strenuous exertion are unnecessary. The orator, like a generous steed, requires liberty and ample space. Before a scanty tribunal, his spirit droops, and the dullness of the scene damps the powers of genius. Add to this, we pay no attention to style. And indeed, how should we? No time is allowed for the beauties of composition. The judge calls upon you to begin, and you must obey, liable at the same time, to frequent interruptions while documents are read and witnesses examined. During all this formality, what kind of an audience has the orator to invigorate his faculties? Two or three stragglers drop in by chance, and to them the whole business seems to be transacted in solitude. But the orator requires a different scene. He delights in clamor, tumult, and bursts of applause. Eloquence must have her theater, as was the case in ancient times, when the forum was crowded with the first men in Rome, when a numerous train of clients pressed forward with eager expectation, when the people, in their several tribes, when ambassadors from the colonies and a great part of Italy attended to hear the debate, in short, when all Rome was interested in the event. We know that in the cases of Cornelius, Scorus, Milo, Bestia, and Vatinius, the concourse was so great that those several causes were tried before the whole body of the people. A scene so vast and magnificent was enough to inflame the most languid orator. The speeches delivered upon those occasions are in everybody's hands, and by their intrinsic excellence we of this day estimate the genius of the respective authors. If we now consider the frequent assemblies of the people, and the right of prosecuting the most eminent men in the state, if we reflect on the glory that sprung from the declared hostility of the most illustrious characters, 
if we recollect that even Scipio, Scylla, and Pompey were not sheltered from the storms of eloquence, what a number of causes shall we see conspiring to rouse the spirit of the ancient forum? The malignity of the human heart, always adverse to superior characters, encouraged the orator to persist. The very players, by sarcastic allusions to men in power, gratified the public ear and by consequence sharpened the wit and acrimony of the bold declaimer. Need I observe to you that in all I have said I have not been speaking of that temperate faculty which delights in quiet times, supported by its own integrity and the virtues of moderation? I speak of popular eloquence, the genuine offspring of that licentiousness to which fools and ill-designing men have given the name of liberty. I speak of bold and turbulent oratory, that inflamer of the people, and constant companion of sedition, that fierce incendiary that knows no compliance and scorns to temporize, busy, rash, and arrogant, but in quiet and well-regulated governments, utterly unknown. Who ever heard of an orator at Crete or Lacedaemon? In those states, a system of rigorous discipline was established by the first principles of the Constitution. Macedonian and Persian eloquence are equally unknown. The same may be said of every country where the plan of government was fixed and uniform. At Rhodes, indeed, and also at Athens, orators existed without number, and the reason is, in those communities, the people directed everything. A giddy multitude governed, and, to say the truth, all things were in the power of all. In like manner, while Rome was engaged in one perpetual scene of contention, while parties, factions, and internal divisions convulsed the state, no peace in the forum, in the senate no union of sentiment while the tribunals of justice acted without moderation while the magistrates knew no bounds and no man paid respect to eminent merit in such times it must be acknowledged that rome produced a race of noble orators as in the wild uncultivated field the richest vegetables will often shoot up and flourish with uncommon vigour and yet it is fair to ask, could all the eloquence of the Gracchi atone for the laws which they impose on their country? Could the fame which Cicero obtained by his eloquence compensate for the tragic end to which it brought him? The forum, at present, is the last sad relic of ancient oratory. But does that epitome of former greatness give the idea of a city so well regulated that we may rest contented with our form of government without wishing for a reformation of abuses? If we accept the man of guilt, or such as labor under the hard hand of oppression, or resorts to us for our assistance? If a municipal city applies for protection, it is when the inhabitants harassed by the adjacent states, or rent and torn by intestine divisions, sue for protection. 
the province that addresses the senate for a redress of grievances has been oppressed and plundered before we hear of the complaint it is true we vindicate the injured but to suffer no oppression would surely be better than to obtain relief find if you can in any part of the world a wise and happy community where no man offends against the laws in such a nation what can be the use of oratory you may as well profess the healing art where ill-health is never known let men enjoy bodily vigor and the practice of physic will have no encouragement in like manner where sober manners prevail and submission to the authority of government is the national virtue the powers of persuasion are rendered useless eloquence has lost her field of glory in the senate what need of elaborate speeches when all good men are already of one mind what occasion for studied herrings before a popular assembly where the form of government leaves nothing to the decision of a wild democracy but the whole administration is conducted by the wisdom of a single ruler and again when crimes are rare and in fact of no great moment what avails the boasted right of individuals to commence a voluntary prosecution what necessity for a studied defence often composed in a style of vehemence artfully addressed to the passions and generally stretched beyond all bounds when justice is executed in mercy and the judge is of himself disposed to succour the distressed believe me my very good and as far as the times will admit my eloquent friends had it been your lot to live under the old republic and the men whom we so much admire had been reserved for the present age if some god had changed the period of theirs and your existence the flame of genius had been yours and the chiefs of antiquity would now be acting with minds subdued to the temper of the times upon the whole since no man can enjoy a state of calm tranquillity and at the same time raise a great and splendid reputation to be content with the benefits of the age in which we live without detracting from our ancestors is the virtue that best becomes us maternus concluded his discourse there have been said messala some points advanced to which i do not entirely accede and others which i think require farther explanation but the day is well-nigh spent we will therefore adjourn the debate be it as you think proper replied maternus and if in what i have said you find anything not sufficiently clear we will adjust those matters in some future conference hereupon he rose from his seat and embracing upper i'm afraid he said that it will fare hardly with you my good friend i shall cite you to answer before the poets and messala will arraign you at the bar of the antiquarians and i replied upper shall make reprisals on you both before the school professors and the rhetoricians this occasioned some mirth and raillery we left 
and parted in good humor. End of section 7 End of A Dialogue Concerning Oratory or The Causes of Corrupt Eloquence by Publius Cornelius Tacitus Translated by Arthur Murphy